0: Welcome to Unconventional Thinkers. My name is Kawan Saluja. On today's episode, we interview Elizabeth Grace Saunders, time management guru. Among the topics we cover include her books, The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment, The Harvard Business Review Guide to Work-Life Balance, and Divine Time Management. How treating time the way people often treat money. We also talk about attachment theory and how that shows up in the workplace and so much more. I really hope you enjoy our conversation with Elizabeth Ray Saunders. Thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. You have a really, uh, really super cool background. Um, I wanted to start uh, with your journey um, into time management, how you got into time management, and then ultimately um, becoming a time management coach, amongst other things.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to tell you the story. Um, So in terms of my journey, I'll do the beginning part really fast and then I'll go into more detail where we get into the time management part. So the beginning part is I've always been a planner. So when I was 14, I decided I wanted to be editor of Better Homes and Gardens and I majored in magazine journalism, interior architecture and business and was interning at the Better Homes and Gardens website by the time I was a freshman in college. And so everything went perfectly according to my plan until my senior year of college when I got my first job. It was meant to be full time, but I started it part time um, because I was finishing my spring semester. So I started that in February of my senior year. And six weeks after I started it, I got laid off. So I had a severance package before I had a college diploma. It was like, welcome to the real world and like all your perfect plans of everything going according to plan. Stopped going according to plan, but it turned out better. So, um, how this leads into time management and time management coaching is the a few things and I was actually talking to a coaching client about this earlier today one is getting laid off when you're 21 is a very rude awakening to the corporate world and I think it's actually one of the best things that could have happened to me though one because I got sent to outplacement classes so I had only been at the job six weeks but I got the full severance package and um I sat in this room with all these people that had worked at corporations for 10, 20, 30 years and sacrificed their life, their health, their family, their friends, and they were like, wait, I just got laid off as if I was nothing when it was no longer convenient, and I was like, bulb! not going to let that happen to me, like I am not sacrificing my life for work. And so that was actually like a big step in my journey. And so fast forward a little bit, I got hired back by the company that laid me off and I got hired, which I'm very grateful for. It was a good kind of reboot to my career journey. But unfortunately, I just, the job was not a good fit. And I ended up resigning on my one year anniversary and unexpectedly starting a business. So I was an accidental entrepreneur. I thought that I would be working at another job. I had um, interviewed for seven jobs prior to resigning and taking that step of faith. And I didn't get any of the jobs I interviewed for, which was highly unusual. But what I did get was all these people in my network asking me to do freelance work in magazine journalism. So I totally fell into my business. And this is where the time management came in. Comes in, so I was always good at getting things done. And when I was an employee, I did actually really try to set boundaries based on what I had experienced with the whole layoff situation. But when I started my own business and didn't have a plan, all of a sudden I was working all the time. So I was working at night, I was working on the weekends. I had no sense of when I could be off without guilt. And what happened is that I was okay with that for a few years. But then after a couple years of this, I was like, enough is enough. I Don't feel successful if there's no time I can not work without feeling guilty. I need to figure this out. And so I did. Um, I started figuring out how to not work at night, not work on the weekends, be more balanced. And my entrepreneur friends were like, this is amazing. We have fantastic businesses, but we're stressed out all the time. You should help other people. So they came up with the idea. I did have some background in coaching training, like business coaching and that sort of thing. But I began time management coaching in 2009 and was really kind of a front runner in that area. I've done this over 13 years at a time when people just weren't really doing time management coaching. And so I had to figure out what that looks like for me and how I could help people.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's would you have, uh, I'm just, would you have quit that job on the one year? anniversary, uh, if it wasn't uh, for the, uh, uh, the six week, uh, the six week thing was,
1: you know, I, it's hard to say. I mean, the reason why I quit it exactly on the one year anniversary, unfortunately, me and my boss were just not a good fit. Um, I'm historically someone who gets along fantastically with bosses. And Like all my teachers loved me. I was voted teacher's pet in high school. So like, you know, I'm a like goody two-shoes, straight A student, but for whatever reason, me and my boss were not a good fit and I am a person of faith. And so I had really been praying about it. And I also, as you can tell, I was very much a planner. So like quitting my job without a new job was obviously not one of my um, preferred ways of doing things, but I am a person of faith and I really prayed about it. And I just felt like that's what God told me to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a step of faith. I applied to a bunch of jobs, interviewed for a bunch of jobs. I resigned on my one-year anniversary. And I really believe it was a divine setup because I had not thought about being an entrepreneur, not on my radar, not something I wanted at all in any way. And so I had to be tricked into it. <laughs> and so I think God was like, you're going to like this. You just don't know it yet. So I'm going to make you think you're going to make you very uncomfortable in your corporate job, make you think you're going to get another job and then not give it to you and force you to do this thing you're going to really like. You just don't know it yet. And, uh, I've been a full-time entrepreneur since 2005. So basically almost 17 years and I love it and can't imagine another way. So he was of course, right. I just, uh, had to be convinced of it a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think through the course of researching, uh, for this, uh, for your interview, the, the line that came up a lot was that Steve jobs always says you can't connect the dots going forward, but you can going backwards. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I was like, At the time I was not happy. I was like, I took a step of faith. It did not work out like, ah! so, but it did. It's not just not the way I was expecting.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I, I think for me, like the, you know, it could be the unconscious script, but I think part of the allure of entrepreneurship is, uh, to be your, boss but the assumption is you're going to have to give up your whole life so you know and it seemed that 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 was you were um kind of in the minority when it came to eventually having work-life balance among your entrepreneurship friends why why is that and does it have to be that way obviously you know Um, Right.
1: Well, I mean, I think, again, I think I was a little like on the cutting edge of this, not even purposely. (laughs) I was just being myself. But um, so I started my first business in 2005. So we did, I mean, around that time, we were getting some things like Tim Ferriss with the four-hour work week and all of that. But again, he was really on the cutting edge. Like it wasn't highly talked about in terms of lifestyle businesses or work-life balance or anything like that. And at the time when you'd go to entrepreneurship conferences and you'd see panel discussions, people would just say, well, you have to put in your dues. You have to suffer. Like, this is just how it is. And like, you have to basically make yourself miserable for at least 10 years if you want to have any success in life. So I didn't really see role, very many role models. I mean, a little bit with Tim Ferriss, although he had a very unique way of going about it. Um, But I guess I've never been afraid to be someone that just does what's right for me. And I think that's part of what's made me successful as an entrepreneur. As entrepreneurs, we are not copying what someone else has done. We are creating a new reality. So it, was a new re- it wasn't a new reality to have a freelance business. Many people did that, but it was a new reality where I was like, I'm going to have a freelance business where I work with magazines and marketing companies around the country, and I'm able to not work at night, and I take the weekends off, and I take vacation. Like, I was like, I don't know how this works. I don't have role models, but I'm going to find a way, and just having that determination to figure it out. And the same thing with being a time management coach, there weren't really... management coaches all over the place at this time there's a ton of coaches like life coaches business coaches executive coaches but this niche was not established but i was like i don't care i'm gonna figure out a way to do it (laughs) i'm gonna create my own reality and so i think like it's part of my like entrepreneurial spirit i'm not necessarily someone that is super into like oh i want to hire a bunch of employees and like have a huge building that doesn't really appeal to me at all, um, but what does appeal to me is a creating a reality that is not yet there, and finding a way to make it work. And I think that I would actually credit that somewhat to my parents, particularly my dad. He was not an entrepreneur, but he was a questioner, and he questioned things and want to understand why it works. So, literally, as like an intern, you know, I'm I don't know, nineteen twenty, I go to New York City and. I'm at this company and I decide I'm going to interview a bunch of people and then present to the president of the division what people are saying and what might be improved. It never crossed my mind that maybe I shouldn't do that as like a 19 or 20 year old. It's just like I have thoughts. I have an idea. So I'm going to share them. And so I think I've just always had this like confidence in myself and like willingness to be like, well, I think it could work. Let's try. And then just keep trying until it does.
0: Um- what, what, one question before we get to kind of the ends of the time management. You'd mentioned about being a teacher's pet, but you also seem to have a very creative, independent thinking spirit. What was school like for you? And, you know, you were already going to work full time or have a job while you were, you know, in your senior year. So I'm curious, how did you look at school?
1: Well, I'm very, so I don't know if you're familiar with a strengths finder, um, but like in terms of my top strengths, it's positivity strategic, learner, achiever, and responsible. Um, so super positive. I'm responsible. I'm the oldest of four, girl, um, learner, achiever, and strategic. And so my mind is always, how do I get to where I want to go in the easiest, best, and fastest way possible that most benefits what I'm trying to accomplish? So you know, when I was 14 and I decided I wanted to be editor of Better Homes and Gardens and this was back in the day when we didn't even really use email, <laughs> that's how old I am, I, I like wrote real letters in the mail to the editor of multiple magazines, including the editor of Better Homes and Gardens and they sent me messages back in the mail and I was like, well, what should I study in school or what colleges do you recommend or what should I do and so when I was looking at my high school career I was already forward thinking to like what college do I want to go to what might I want to study what will they care about and so then when I was in high school I was taking the honors and AP in order to have high ranks and get scholarships but I was also taking art classes because I wanted to be in home decorating and I would need to take art classes in college and I was editor of the magazine at my high school so that I had that experience and so I was always thinking okay, for where I want to go, what are the experiences that will position me to get there? And I did well in like all my classes through probably through just honestly working hard and laying things out. Um, But what I think one of the big shifts that happened for me is I think in high school, I was very strategic, but it was more of a grind. And then as I got into college, and then for sure, after college with my life and business, I learned how to be strategic in such a way that I can be very successful without having to work like crazy hours or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and when did you first take the Strengths Finder? And um, uh, how? What What are your thoughts on you know on the Strengths Finder as compared so the, to other, other, other Yeah,
1: the exact year I cannot remember. It was quite a while ago. Um, and in terms of my thoughts on it, I think it's just another way of understanding yourself. I really like all these different assessments because it under, helps me understand how I am versus others. And like, for example, with like my strategic learner achiever, um, for someone that's maybe like a maximizer. So someone with the strength of like wanting to make things perfect, I'm not like that at all. I'm like, get it done. Like, It doesn't have to be perfect. And so I think my strengths really help my coaching clients because I basically lend them my brain. So I'm like, you're making it all complicated over here, but what do we actually need to accomplish? Let's make it happen. And so I like, I'm like, nope, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That's not matter. Cut it out. Like just focus on this and you're gonna get the best results as fast as possible. So I think it helps me, me be successful, but then also, like I said, lend my brain to my coaching clients so we can cut through the clutter and help them get to their goals faster.
0: Awesome. Uh, well, uh, regarding time management, uh, they, you know, it's been said, I don't think necessarily people live their lives this way, but that time is our most precious commodity. And, you know, I think part of you started, uh, part of your philosophy, correct me if I'm wrong, was like looking at time, the way people look at, you know, money. And could you talk about that and your overall approach and some of the For mistakes sure. For Um, sure.
1: You're 100% right. My second book published by Harvard Business Review is How to Invest Your Time Like Money. So that is definitely one of my things. Um, And I would say what I really am looking at, and again, now it's pretty ubiquitous, which is awesome, but it was fairly like more of a forerunner thing when I started it, is the whole idea of time investment. So my first book came out at the end of 2012 called The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment. That's with McGraw-Hill. Then I had How to Invest Your Time Like Money with Harvard Business Review. And then I have Divine Time Management with Faith Words. And kind of what informs what I'm trying to accomplish in this whole correlation between time and money is that... Really, we want to think about being as strategic as possible. Um, Because if we think about it, just like in the world, in terms of shopping, like if you're on Amazon or really anywhere or in a store, there's so many things that you could buy. I mean, there's unlimited vast array of things you could spend money on, but we obviously don't have unlimited money resources. And so we strategically choose like, where do we put our money in order to, for example, invest it? So things we hope to get a return on investment, um, things we just need to buy. And like, where do we try to save money? Because spending more money is just basically a waste of time. And that actually goes along with the idea of what I call my INO technique. So investment activities where you get a return, neutral activities where it's basically one-to-one ratio back and forth and then optimize where you want to spend as least amount of money as possible. So that also relates to your time. And that's something that I really try to emphasize. Like, so in my first book, The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment, I have a start with clarifying our priorities. And the idea is that with our time, we want to think about it as an asset because all of us have the same amount of time. Like you, me, um, you know, people that are global leaders and all different sorts of ways or people on the street. I mean, we all have the same amount of time, but what happens with our life force is based on how we invest it. So from a time management point of view, if we're looking at investment activities, we want to think both personally and professionally, what are the greatest value levers that I can offer? So for example, let's, let's look at my business, um, just for, uh, the sake of, um, getting a little more granular for me with marketing, I know some of my highest leverage activities are writing for Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. And so I make it a goal, a priority to usually write for them about once a month or once every couple months. I have an article coming out and that's I'm very consistent. I make that a priority. There's a whole bunch of other things I do not do. Um, I don't have an Instagram account. I checked LinkedIn once a week. Um, I don't do a lot on Twitter, very little on Facebook. I there's a whole bunch of things. Like I never joined clubhouse. Like I just keep it simple. I'm like, these are my highest investment activities. This is really important. I'm going to make it a priority. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm just not going to get involved with then like my neutral activities. That would be things like, for example, my coaching call super important. I absolutely want to be there, um, do a good job, but it's not the same kind of ROI. So if I'm having a coaching call with one person, that's different than me writing an article that maybe hundreds of thousands of people will read. It's a different return on investment for my time. And then I've got my optimized activities with my time. That would be like answering emails. So that's why I do things like I have text expanders and I have like different filters and things I have in my email. So that just getting through email and processing that takes as little as possible because spending more time pressing my email does not overall benefit my business or my life. And so in each part of your life, you always want to be thinking, why am I doing this? What's the return on investment and how can I make sure that I then get that in order so that I can get the optimal outcome?
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, prior, prioritizing, you know, can be a challenge. And I think a bunch of things come come up. How do you, um, do you have certain times of day where you would uh, allot your high, you know, uh, for example, the fast company articles versus like the emails, um, and boundaries with time. I think that you know that's probably a bigger, you know, I think issue than with with regards to save money. So how do you um, you know kind of help your clients with with boundaries, and also do you do you or your clients do things at certain strategic? times of day. I know there's a lot of research on neuroscience and things like that that have come up.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would say the time of day that works for people depends on the person. So like what might work for me might not work for someone else. I actually start my day with what I call processing. So between about 8.45 and 10 a.m., that's where I have a checklist I go through in the morning of doing my daily planning, um, going through my business email boxes, skimming through my personal email boxes, responding to text messages, just making sure I've gotten through all my inboxes for the morning. Some people say, oh, that's bad because then you'll get like sucked down a rabbit hole. But for me, I don't particularly like clearing inboxes. So if I don't do it early, it's actually much harder for me. Like it's a bigger weight versus if I'm like, okay, it's done, it's out of the way. And then I don't tend to do any coaching calls unless it's a extenuating circumstance until 10 a.m. So basically I know I got everything cleaned out in order, done, or at least on my task list, and then I'm good to go and I can be with my coaching clients or whatever meetings I have. Um things like writing articles, I actually find I need a little bit of warm-up time. So I wouldn't be good just starting off with that. I usually write articles a little later in the day. So that would be around like two or three o'clock or um maybe like anytime afternoon is probably fine. And how I have my calendar blocked is that Wednesday is no coaching call day. And so usually when I write articles or I write newsletters or I work on other significant business development, most likely will be on a Wednesday when I can just be fully focused on that. Sometimes if I have bigger gaps other days, I will, but I make sure that I reserve that for that time.
0: What uh, what type of clients um, do you do you, uh, typically uh, work for like what 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 sorts of people have for these time management right
1: right for time management so there's a wide variety i work with clients all over the world every continent except Antarctica or people i've worked with um and again, it's some people just starting their careers, some people that are retired. I would say the like majority though, if we're looking at like the center of the bell curve would be people like in their late thirties to like mid fifties. So kind of probably at the busiest time of their career. Um, some of them have families, some some don't, um, but people that are really looking to be more productive, be more effective and move forward their time. So that could be some people that Um, are working incredibly long hours and just really need to cut back for the sake of their health or their family or, or other reasons. Um, And then other people that are so overwhelmed, they're doing nothing and they feel really guilty and they're worried about getting in trouble or getting fired or other bad things happening. And so um, then they work with me in that way. Um, Almost all of them have very flexible schedules. So they might work remotely, be knowledge workers or own their own businesses. Um, And so it's, it's people basically in a situation where they're overwhelmed, they don't know how to manage their Time and they have massive amounts of flexibility, and they need someone to help them really create that
0: structure. Yeah, and I, I think that there is sometimes there's like this more is more culture. How do you get some of your? Uh, I, I would I would guess for some clients it's about you know possibly rest, you know the re- rejuvenation of rest, or just even mm-hmm. taking vacations and things like that. Do you plan things out in right. advance or? Right
1: right yeah so going back to kind of what you were asking about boundaries like i think it is really important to have containers for our work um so for example for me i try to finish work by about 5 30 at night have a certain time when i start certain time when i end um and i usually try to be pretty consistent with that's work time and then time outside of that is personal time so i'm honest about like okay i'm working which means i'm not doing personal things like i'm not doing the dishes or i'm not um you know getting together with a friend or that sort of thing but then when i'm off the alternative is true. I try not to work after hours. Um, and I find that really helps just having that level of intention. Cause otherwise when people are like, Oh, I'm just working all the time. They're not just working all the time. They're like, Oh, I'll just check something on my phone. Like, Oh, I'll just take a break. Oh, I'll just do that. And they're not actually really focused. So having that intention really helps. And then going to what you were talking about with vacation it's never going to be easy. It's never going to be convenient. It's never like, oh, I have nothing to do. And like, all I can do is take a vacation. And so you do just have to plan it in advance. Oh, and cool. you're probably going to be slightly stressed out before. Um, although I have written articles for Harvard Business Review about preparing for vacations, but like you will feel a little bit crunched and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going. But then when you get away, it feels so good. And you're like, well, what was I so worried about? The world keeps spinning without me. Um, and so it's really important that we when we don't feel like it, like we don't want to stop working at night or we don't want to take vacation or we don't want to stop working on the weekend that we do because it gives us the gift of perspective. And so often nothing has actually changed in our world, but just by taking a break, we're like so much less stressed because we realize everything really is fine without us constantly, constantly doing things.
0: Yeah. I, I find a, a lot of times, like I, I, I think of like, I just you know, the need to work harder, whereas like the answers usually just come like taking a shower or a walk or even go to the gym that I didn't think I yeah. had time for. Yeah, exactly. How much, exactly. how many hours per per day can people do of, you know, focused work or what is a healthy amount and, or a realistic amount as well?
1: Right, right. So in terms of what we would call like deep work, so Cal Newport, Newport kind of yeah. coined that term and he's so awesome. He, yeah. he wrote the forward for my first book and he's just been just like, Huge that. supporter of mine from the beginning, and I think he's amazing um and he kind of got the deep work idea from me
0: oh totally my god I, I was gonna use that term with you, but I wasn't sure yeah you yeah yeah yeah, but no,
1: it's totally cool I'm so glad he did changed and my he's, life, he's, he's yeah he's he's amazing, he's so great um so yeah, he wrote he read my book, and after that he wow. did his deep work, book. <laughs> but it's all good, he's amazing, he takes it farther, and he's like. I come at it from a particular flavor and angle and he does it from his angle and it's beautiful. And I think it's amazing, but yeah. So he, he would say Cal would say, and he's very analytical being the uh, computer guy. Um, He would say about four hours a day is what's reasonable in terms of super focused deep work. That doesn't mean that you don't do other work like answer email or have meetings or that sort of thing. But in general, he would say about four hours and I'd say that's about right. Like in terms of doing super deep, like really need to concentrate work it's very hard for that to do that eight hours a day but most of us have a mix in our our work life
0: yeah yeah paul graham talks about the makers versus i think it's makers versus manager schedule and how like uh, you know a manager is always getting interrupted and you know maker creative type needs like long periods What are you know i assume not every every client has the same same issues how do you kind of like deal with you know, those, those uh, extremes. And also I just think, you know, introvert, extrovert too. Mm -hmm. Like, uh,
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when I work with clients, we start out with doing a schedule makeover. So I talk through like, what are all the different parts of your schedules? What are you trying to accomplish? And then I lay it out for them with the people that are the managers and have almost back-to-back meetings, we're just trying to eke out time for them to even have an hour or two a few times a week for them to get stuff done. So we're really looking at it from that perspective, like how do we get time for you to do your work during work? For people that have a much more like free-flowing schedule, we, still, we try to create boundaries, but we you have to do less work around like eliminating meetings or processing email and that sort of thing. And more just creating containers so they know they have a start time, they know they have a stop time and they're not interrupted. Because a lot of times they'll get very distracted by super low level things that aren't important at all that they don't have to do, but it's more scary to do the deep work. Um, and so by helping them really clear the clutter and get clear on, okay, like for example, one of my clients is a writer and it's like, okay, one o'clock is my writing time, one o'clock, one to four, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not doing anything else. We can start to create that rhythm and that safety and that routine and habit around moving things forward. So, um, so yeah, a lot of it is just seeing where people are at, what they need. And for those who have massive amounts of meetings, reducing those. And for those who don't just like creating the container. So they have a sense of purpose and focus.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I could, I could tell you're have, have been and continue to be on the cutting edge based on, uh, that deep work, but also some of the other uh, things that uh, I came across in in research. One uh, was a super fascinating article on attachment theory and how that affects work. Could you go kind of go into that um, and what on earth attachment theory would have to do with time management and also work performance? Cause you know,
1: Yeah, for sure. So that was in the New York Times, and it was on the four attachment styles and how that can impact your work life balance. Um, So super fun when I had the opportunity to write for them. And so basically what that is so attachment style is typically something that people talk about in the area of parenting or romantic relationships. And so attachment style is how you relate to your primary caregiver, and it impacts a lot of how you show up in the world. And we've got different types. So we have secure attachment, which is the preferred. We have anxious attachment. We have avoidant attachment. And then we have um, anxious avoidance, where it's a, it's a little bit of both. And so why this matters or how this works, and I kind of fuse these things from different kinds of psychology and brought it together, was that it can impact how you show up in your work. So for example, someone with an anxious attachment style at work are going to be super worried about, is everyone happy? So they're going to be the kind of people like, oh my gosh, that person gave me a weird look in the hall. Are they upset at me? Are they mad at me? Like, I gotta check in with them. We're like, oh, Someone just sent me an email. I better respond to that right away because maybe they're saying I forgot something or they're upset or they're mad. And uh-huh. so they're like always anxious that like someone's upset. And so they're always like trying to like do things right away. Um, and then people with an avoidant attachment style are like more dismissive. Like, why should I answer your email? I didn't even ask you to send me an email. Why do you think I should read it, let alone answer it? I have more important and interesting things to work on right now than taking care of your email. So they're like, total opposites and so their problem is that they work on things that are super interesting to them but often don't really care about other people's what they want or need and so they infuriate people um and then we have our anxious avoidant so that would be people that are really anxious about what people are thinking but instead of doing something about it they avoid it so they're like oh my gosh that's an email and someone's probably mad at me i'm not going to open it i don't want to know like, feel so, like, they're just like, ah, uh, so they get really stuck. And then there's the secure attachers who typically can handle things pretty well. Like they see an email and they don't assume someone's upset. They also don't feel a need to avoid it. Um, the only problem secure attachers can have is sometimes being a little too secure. So like they, maybe they actually aren't meeting expectations, but because they're like, oh, I'm awesome. Everyone likes me. It's all good. Like they don't like <laughs> stop to notice like, oh, maybe I didn't get like, that done on time or like maybe I should have been a little bit more responsive to that so um, it's just different styles and it's all something that like in the New York Times article I wrote I talked about different ways to work through it but it helps you recognize like what's going on yourself and what's going on in others and can help you to create a better work dynamic where you're not freaking out and you're not making other people freak out because like for example the class is classic is like the anxious avoidant crazy cycle so if you have an anxious person who really wants to know a lot an avoidant person who doesn't want to tell anything both of them end up going crazy because like the anxious person starts like that you know like like emailing more and more and more and more and the avoidant person is like i'm gonna ignore you more and more and more and then like they're both totally stressed out versus like if the Avoidant person just email back the anxious person. They'd be like, "Oh, okay, everything's fine. I'm good." Like, and you like avoid the crazy making. So it's it's an interesting theory to look at and to understand how it could be playing out in your dynamics.
0: Is, is attachments is, is is it possible to change attachment styles or is it more? Oh,
1: absolutely! Yeah, we can develop over time into different attachment styles. Preferably, we're developing into more secure attachment. Usually helpful. And it can also vary based on the situation. So, like maybe at work, you have an awesome boss who you feel really comfortable with it, comfortable with, and work well with, and you feel very secure. But maybe you have a client who totally stresses you out and doesn't like you. And like every time you see their emails, you're like freaked out and like wondering what they're about to say. So, yes, it can change over time. And it can also be situation and people dependent.
0: That's very interesting. And another, another, uh concept I came, I think there was the book uh Thriving in Your Mind and huh? how you organize. Could you talk about like how that book has of kind of affected your approach or how that approach kind of looks like?
1: For sure. So Thriving in Mind is a book. And then there's a couple of other like I think Ernst Young Put together, I can't remember the name of the test right off of my head, but I think they put together a test that was like more sophisticated in terms of the different brain strengths, It's but it was basically the same thing. So there's a couple of different companies that have systematized it a little bit, but basically the idea of thriving in mind, which is where I originally learned about brain dominance, is the idea is that just from a biochemical point of view, we're all born with a natural dominance in a certain quadrant of our brain. So upper right, back right front left or back left. It's not something we pick, it just is. Um, And why this matters or why it's significant for time management and things in general is that each quadrant of our brain has a particular strength. It doesn't mean we can't learn how to access other parts of our brain, but it is harder for us and more draining. Um, So for example, most of my, I would say, them not all, but I would say the majority of my coaching clients are upper right brain strength. So these are people that are visionary, creative, they tend to think in pictures, they like to be spontaneous, um, they don't tend to see things in order. Um, and why that's the majority of my clients is that traditional time management skills are housed in the back left part of your brain, where people tend to think very linear, linearly, to see things in order, to like steps, to like procedures and like systems. And so for the upper right people, back left thinking can be an enigma and they literally have to develop the neuroconnections connections to go either down to the back right and over to the back left or over to the upper left and then down to the back left in order to access that part of their brain, because there's no basically diagonal neuroconnections connections in our brain and they have to work. It's literally physically much harder for them to get to that part of their brain and do what they need to do than people with natural dominance in the other quadrants. So I usually don't have very many back left clients because this comes naturally. Um, Back right is more people that are focused on communication, connection, um, spiritual things, understanding people's emotions. That would be like counselors, coaches, therapists, all of that. And then front left are people that are very strategic. So think like finance people, um, they love Excel spreadsheets. They love like getting things done. A lot of executives are going to be like front left in terms of how they accomplish things. Whereas back left tends to be a little more traditionally, not always, but traditionally like bookkeepers, administrative assistants, that sort of thing. And so by understanding your brain strength, you can let go of some of the judgment around like, oh, why is this so hard for me? Or why don't I just get this naturally? You don't get it naturally because that's not how your brain naturally works. So you have to literally do like mental conditioning to even access the part of your brain that can do planning and organization and all those sorts of things.
0: Wow. Um, you've mentioned uh, that you've written uh, three books and like your, your, your uh, pr- career progression is really fascinating. Could you talk about uh, how uh, the third book, Divine Time Management, uh, hmm? you know, came out? Came with- out.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to share. Um, So in regards to defined time management, the reason that came about was I've been a time management coach for, I don't know, a while, like six, seven years. Um, And so it's probably about 2015, 2016. And I just was hitting a point where, you know, when things start to feel a little rote, you know, like, oh, I kind of feel like I'm just saying the same thing. Like you could push a button. Like I, I think it was called like the IT crowders. I don't know. It was something like this English show, this British show where they have this like the IT office? staff in the basement. No, it wasn't the office. Oh, yeah, the it. IT staff in the basement. And yeah. they just would like they would just like hold up the phone to like a recorded thing that said, did you turn it off and on? Yeah. Like, like like they were like the IT help support and they like turn up to a recording. Did you turn it off and on? (laughs) Like, so I kind of felt like that. I was like, oh, I don't like feeling like that. What's going on? So I was just like praying about it, thinking about it. I was like, should I be doing something else? What's happening? And I just had this like bulb of insight where I felt like God was telling me, like, you need to share how your life actually works. Yes, you have your time management strategies, but I'm God and I help you. And you like, you need to share your secret sauce. So I was really, I'm willing to be radical about stuff. You know, I quit my job before. So I was like, okay, do I just need to quit time management coaching? Like, what's going on? And so I was open to that. But then when I thought about it, prayed about more, I realized, no, I just had to add a little like spice there. So I started a divine time management group coaching program and then ended up um, selling a book contract to write my divine time management book. And what that is, is really about a faith-based approach to time management. And I know people listening to this might be coming from all different backgrounds. So I'm sharing from my Christian background. If you have a different one, that's totally fine. But I'm just sharing my truth. Um, And so why I wrote this or why this was important, twofold. One, I felt I was supposed to. So I feel like if I'm supposed to do something that I should do it. Um, But secondly, it was really my journey because my first two books were about helping type B people become more type A, like how to be more organized. And divine time management is about helping type A people chill out. So it was Wow. Way more convicting for me. Like I literally, I am not exaggerating. I like sobbed over that book. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I was like doing all these things wrong. Um, and it was this like refining process. I have three different sections. So the first is trusting God at the center of your time management. So about the whole idea of not, like, not having the goal of your life to be in control. Like I'm just going to control everything. So then I'm the boss of the universe. Like just like having that peace and that rest that God is like in control and he loves you and you don't have to be. Um, The second part of my book is about love for your true identity because so many people are so stressed out with their time because they're pretending. Like they're like, oh, I'm an executive. So I should ask like this or like, I'm an entrepreneur. I should act like this or I'm responsible. So I should act like this. And just like helping you to be like, who are you really like, what were you really made to do? How can you be in that peace and flow and stop like projecting these images of like being cool or being successful or whatever um, that doesn't make you happy at all. And actually is like a total waste of your life because no one wants some crazy image. They just want you like you are made perfect and you're unique and awesome. And the more you act like other people, the less you are yourself. So like, if you seem very similar to everyone around you, you're a faker, like you're not real. Um, You really, if you are being yourself, you should be very unique, not in like a, I have purple hair and we have mohawk, although it's totally fine if you want to do that. But that's not what I mean. It's not like showing off. It's just like, this is me. This is like really authentically who I am. And that's so special. And no one else is like that in the whole world. Um, So I wanted to encourage people in that. Um, And then finally, the third part is about walking in love. And so walking in love for yourself um, and for God and for others. And the whole idea of like when we do everything from that place of like love and congruence that we are actually the most fulfilled and satisfied because the things in our life that make us satisfied are not acquiring more things. There's tons of like suicidal, crazy rich people. Um, You know, it's not in like, you know, having people think you're cool because sure they could, you could win some prize this year, but next year you'd maybe don't win the prize. It's about having those like deep meaningful relationships in your life. And so, um, that's what that book was about. And it was just an invitation for people to let go of that stress, let go of that, that kind of like over control that can happen with time management and to really relax into being their truest self and have a life that's very congruent. Um, because the truth is that reality always wins. And so if there's like dissonance in your life or even, and again, there could be so many factors. So I, I don't want to like put people in boxes, but like, not always, but sometimes I think oftentimes even like mental health challenges or all of that, there's some part of us we're lying to ourselves about something that's true. Um, And so like when we are like, no, this is who I really am. This is what I really want. This is the reality of things. Like a whole bunch of stuff comes into alignment and we're free to be happy, to be joyous, you know, to express ourselves to the world and um, live lives that are free from that crazy stress. So that's the very long story of why I wrote it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds like a tremendously courageous and vulnerable uh, journey. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned love. Uh, I think one of the themes was like loving your story.
1: Yeah, yeah, loving your story, and I have a cool update on that. Uh, so in my book, I, uh, I I had something about loving love for your storyline when I was reading the audiobook, that's one of the parts where I like broke down in tears and cried and they had to like stop the audiobook recording so I could collect myself. Um, but I have a good story to tell. So part of it was, I've been single for a very long time. I am um, over 39 and a half, so almost 40. And I'm not one of the people I was like, oh, I wanna wait till I'm old to get married. No, like I like wanted to get married when I was like 21. So this is not, uh, I'm from the Midwest, you know, we're traditional. Uh, so anyway, uh in the book, I'm like, sometimes you just hate what's going on, but you still have to love it and trust it'll work out. Um, and I cried in the book and I said it's okay to admit if you don't like things, but keep moving forward. But my good news is I am getting married oh, this summer. So in two months in June of 2020. Uh two months before I turned 40. It's like very poetic. Like in the Bible, like 40 is a big deal, like the 40 years in the wilderness, like Jesus 40 years, or 40 days, like being tempted by the devil. So after almost 40 years, I'm getting married. I don't have my actual engagement ring on because they had to repair it. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, so I talk in the book about love for your storyline and trusting it will all work out. And I say, I say in the book, I'm gonna get married because God told me so. And it's true. So uh, that's my update there. You don't always understand why things take so forever long, and you may not like it, you may kind of hate it, but they have a way of working out, and it's usually better than you could have expected, and God is very poetic, so he's just like, oh, it just has to be 40 years. I'm so glad he didn't tell me, though, I'd be so mad, like, if he had, like, told me that at 25, I'd be like, no, I can't handle it, (laughs) but you just take it day by day, and then you're like, oh, I made it, and I'm so happy, (laughs) so
0: yeah. Well, well, congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm so excited. You, you uh, can't what, tell. Are, what, what are your favorite books and or and or most in, influential books?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, obviously, my most influential book is the Bible. I read that every day. Um, and then in terms of other books, I read so many different ones, but I think that there's like a few that I've gone back to you like repeatedly. So one book that I really like, it's an oldie but goodie, it's called The Willpower Instinct. And it's about understanding willpower and like how to use that and how that will work for you. Um, another book that I really appreciate, and it's actually a quiz I make all my coaching clients take, is The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. So it's about how you respond to expectations. So upholder, questioner, rebel, obliger. And I have my coaching clients take that assessment because it helps me coach them a lot better knowing how they respond to expectations. And then finally, a book that I'm reading right now that like, I don't mean to be mean, isn't written like the most great way, but it's actually been a pretty cool book to read. It's called The Joy Switch. It's not like a super popular book, but what it's about is basically how to notice When your brain has gone from relational mode, like, hey, I want to connect with you and be with you, to like enemy mode, like you're annoying me and like I just want you to go away, how to recognize when that's happened and how to like flip the switch to turn it back on. And so it's, I have to admit, I was like, I was reading the book because someone gave it to me and I was like, "Uh," the writing was like a little bit trite. And I was like, okay, like I'm not sure why I'm even reading this. But then like, a few months. And then after a few months, I was like, Oh, I totally know why I'm reading this. This is actually helpful. I can show you the cover. It's right over here. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's called the joy switch. And, um, I just find that it's interesting, even super nice people like myself, when super, things annoy us are getting us in our way, we can like, get into that enemy mode. Like you're stopping me from what I want. Um, and so just like recognizing, okay, I'm getting in that mode. That's not helpful. Like how do I switch my brain into a more like collaborative relational state where I create space for like both of us to thrive? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really good to challenge yourself to just not assume you have to fall into certain states and to like, no matter how justified you might feel and being upset about something choosing the higher path um and so that's like something i've been challenging myself on personally
0: that's great i i yeah that's that difference between a part from and a part of uh Mm -hmm. i was thinking that is a thank you for that um you're welcome what would you say to your 18 year old self
1: uh it'll all work out (laughs) like when i was 18 i was like you have to have a plan everything has to go according to plan so much stuff is not going according to plan at all, like with my career or personally, but it's like fantastic. Like I'm so glad I'm not better at Better Home and Gardens. I'd much rather do what I'm doing now than that, but it didn't even exist when I was 18. So like it'll all work out. Just like keep moving forward, keep iterating, keep trying things out, be true to yourself and like, don't worry about it. It's all, it's all going to be fine.
0: Where can, uh, where can people uh, find you?
1: Um, so my main website is reallifee.com. So that's R-E-A-L-L-I-F-E and then E as in Elizabeth.com.
0: Well, um, thank you so much, uh, for your time. I, I really, uh, enjoyed it. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited. And, uh, um, yeah, you just have a super cool background and, and just the tra- trajectory of those three books and a lot of just really important messages. So, Thank, thank you so you. much, Elizabeth.
1: My pleasure. It was a delight to be with you, and I hope this helps other people be themselves.
0: Look forward to reading some more of your articles as well. Sounds good. As a big thank you to Elizabeth. Uh, she's was and continues to be on the forefront of time management. A couple of takeaways, and I think this is where her niche developed initially, which was it is possible to be an entrepreneur and not have to work evenings and weekends or be consumed with it time is our biggest ally and then the second part was deep work and the notion that you know as someone who's a huge fan of cal newport that four hours is about the length that we can do deep work if you enjoyed this podcast please leave a review it'll help grow the show until next time this is Kawan Saluja reminding myself to continue to grow spiritually.